This is the John Oakley Show podcast. Just reading a story about Vancouver's 420 protest, uh, which has been going on for like 25 years, but now with legal pot, they continue to do that. And on Sunset Beach, they had 60,000 on Saturday. uh, And some of the authorities were not too pleased because if this is a protest, uh, that's wrong to do. Uh, You know, well, it's not, not so much wrong, but they're, they're really, it has the trappings of a festival now. Cypress Hill came in, did a full set, and which also accounts for the 60,000, I guess. And uh, in Vancouver, of all places, this has become an issue, a thing, where, uh, whereas up in Ottawa, I guess it was rained out, it was blustery, and uh, was a real bust. Now that it's legal, as I was saying before, uh, makes you wonder if there's even any point or purpose to it apart from just wanting to stage a festival. For that, you need permits and uh, to be sanctioned by the city, you know, by law enforcement and all the rest of that. Uh, But they sneer at that or disregard it in Vancouver. I guess maybe they're uh, a little more, what is it, civic-minded or attentive to the law up there in the nation's capital. However, on the marijuana question, there are many still unresolved or unanswered. And uh, we also have inroads being made into the vast American market. Whether that's going, uh, let's find out. James West is on the line, the CEO and host of Midas Letter Live, a publisher and recognized authority on investing in emerging cannabis companies. James, good to have you back in the Oakley Show. How are you? Great, John. Thanks. How are you doing? Okay. You didn't participate in any of this 420 stuff, did you? Well, I was at home at 420, without a doubt. Mind you, I was in Toronto. There was no good weather, and uh, I hate crowds. So, no, I didn't go to any of those events. All right. Well, he's got a clean sheet, just for the record. Uh, Anyway, (laughs) you know, let me start with something. uh, I I guess it's a big development insofar as uh, where the market is going. Canopy just purchased, I think, for, uh, what, $3.4 billion or something like that, acreage in the States? What does that mean? Yeah. Uh, well, what does it mean? It means, uh, from an investment perspective, uh, the market is still in, well, let's call it the second inning now. When you start to see uh, mergers on a scale like that, even in an emerging market like cannabis, uh, a transaction like that indicates that we're certainly moving into a new phase of the market, which it's more mature. What, what does it mean more broadly for uh, the industry in, in, a, is, in a whole is that Big brands, big globalized conglomerates who are trying to figure out, well, we'd like to get involved with cannabis, but due to the federal prohibition, we don't really see a way to do that. Canopy has now created a blueprint for how to do that. And so now I think the door will be perceived as open for globalized brands to make investments in large-scale multi-state operators in the United States using this format as a blueprint because they're not actually taking possession of anything that touches the plant, as they say, until cannabis is federally legal in the States. Yeah, that's the game changer, isn't it? It sure is. Yeah, that's that's kind of holding the industry back. It's also what is really at the foundation of Canada's leadership role in capitalizing the whole industry. Yeah, I know the last time we spoke, I wondered if the Americans would be kind of uh, eating our lunch because economies of scale and such, and if their big players uh, really wanted to capture the market, would Canadians have a chance? So this is sort of a reversal. A Canadian company goes in and buys up an American concern for $3.4 billion. So it's like hands across the border. Uh, if America decides federally, and I don't know what would be necessary to affect this, is it just going to be, again, uh, a populist type of sentiment that uh, finally politicians accede to? Or uh, what would change the federal government's mind, depending on, you know, whichever political stripe is in power at the time, 
to want to legalize marijuana nationally? And what's deterring them from doing that? Well, I think, you know, the United States has been at the forefront of the cannabis prohibition movement since uh, the 1800s. So to have to actually reverse course on that leadership role and admit that they have, in fact, been acting contrary to the public interest, that's a pretty big step for the national identity. And I think that, to a large degree, underscores or under underlies the the impetus to not rush towards federal prohibition. Uh, I think at the same time, you have a high degree of what I like to refer to as puritanical hypocrisy, but others refer to it as a moral majority in the United States, where there is still just huge, tremendous resistance to the idea that cannabis should be legalized. There are uh, many who still consider it a narcotic and a drug, despite the reclassification of it, progressively around the world. There are still some health and uh, mental health considerations surrounding it, too, from what I'm hearing or reading, and I just wonder to what extent that's a prevalent mindset or it's just a marginal mindset. Well, um, I can say from experience that my mental health is exactly a result of access to cannabis. So I, I agree there is a mental health issue. If everybody had access to cannabis, from a very young age, they would we would not have as many mental health issues as we do. Um, there but are, are you been, citing medical authority now? Uh, well, there are. I mean, the the jury is divided on that front. You could talk about uh, clinical clinicians out there who are very much against the idea of cannabis being broadly available to the public. There are, are many doctors who suggests that only doctors should be allowed to prescribe cannabis. And so, I mean, even within the medical community, there is a division as far as, you know, what, what, are, the, what are the negative implications? What are the positive implications for cannabis as a uh, substance that could have benefits and risks to the human physiology? So I think to be, you know, completely fair and inhuman, you'd have to say, well, one could argue that there are pros and cons to both sides of the equation, and until we have a, a large history of data-driven um, you know, outcomes, we kind of have to suspend our judgment until we get there. Right, uh, which is why some states have taken it upon themselves, but federally it's still a hurdle or a hoop to uh, have to cross. Well, that's uh, maybe the explanation then as to why the feds, you know, it's like uh, the repeal of the Volstead Act, I guess, in 33. Uh, Lecker was banned for about 13 years and uh, was, uh, I guess, determined that it led to no good. And then they just repealed all of that. Uh, finally, I'm just curious, you know, I mean, can we still ensure that there's going to be uh, quality control with the, prog- uh, with the, um, the product and uh, distribution, retailing? I mean, are these still things that need to be addressed in this country specifically? Um, well, yeah, I would, I would suggest that the only quality cannabis that is available is not available from, uh, from licensed sources because the cannabis that's available through the government system, the time it gets to the consumer is so dry that it is well beyond what would be considered premium dried cannabis. And I can say that as a, uh, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going, to, I'm going to take the opportunity to call myself a connoisseur because I've been smoking it for so long, but cannabis has a best-before date that lasts roughly from uh, two weeks after it was chopped down till about four weeks afterwards. And, um, you know, if you have to 
if you have to treat it in such a way that you need to kill all of the pathogens that are present naturally in cannabis, then you cannot possibly have a premium product. Now, uh, you know, all the cannabis that's been grown and consumed up to legalization has been done so without that level of testing. And still there have been no deaths from cannabis that, that anybody can point to. So um, I think that quality control very much becomes a matter of perspective. I mean, is sterile marijuana of a high quality? Well, to a medicinal patient who might have a compromised immune system, one could say yes. But to a recreational connoisseur who is interested only in premium cannabis that's at its optimum state for smoking, the answer is obviously no. And so that debate rages alongside the medical and the, uh, and the, the physiological as well. All right. And so, uh, yeah. Uh, we're in the middle of this process of flushing out exactly uh, what is going on here with, I guess, somewhat of a social experiment. James, got to let you go. I appreciate your perspective as always. We'll talk down the road. You bet. Thank you, John. Bye for now. You got it. Happy Easter Monday, James West. Again, publisher and recognized authority on investing in emerging cannabis companies. Thanks for listening to the John Oakley Show podcast. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe for free at Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and anywhere else you get your on-demand audio.